This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Dr. Betty Johnson has 30 years leadership and change consulting experience. She helps leaders and teams recognize the behavior goal misalignments that impede their success and shows them how to bridge the difference to get extraordinary results. Betty, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Mark. Now, you told me before we started recording, you just got back from vacation. How's it feel? (laughs) It feels great. I feel grounded and relaxed and focused and really on purpose, you know, that I am showing up each morning ready and eager to just jump right into what my professional purpose is. I love that because I'll be 57 this June, June 21st, if anybody's keeping uh, track of my birthday. And I have people ask me all the time, they'll say, Mark, what are you doing about retirement? And I'm like, retirement? Why would I want to stop doing what I love to do? A lot of people in the information space, as you know, coaches and trainers and whatnot, they train until their 80s and 90s. I'm not doing anything physically demanding. I wake up every day like a little boy on Christmas morning, and I love what I do. And I I wish everyone had this experience. Well, it is just a fantastic life, professional life. Last week, I was in Dallas for five days, two different clients in a row, working with um, women and people of color, helping them be strategic about how they're going to advance their careers. And when you, as you can probably relate to this, Mark, when you, when you lead that room where you've had these very powerful conversations, very transparent, focused, action-oriented practical conversations about here's what's next. Uh, Well, I'll just say on Friday, I would have gotten on a plane and gone to another city and done it all over again. So it, it is, it takes a lot of physical energy to do that and sometimes stand in that fire also when there are conflicting views, but there's nothing more rewarding than helping people get what they want. That's what I love to do. One of the things I learned when I became an entrepreneur back in July of 2005, not voluntarily, I was fired from my corporate job, but I learned that there's a big difference between learning what you need to do and actually doing it. Because people go to these conferences, they go to Zoom calls, they listen to podcasts, they get all fired up. But I want to know what happens after you get that information. Do you have a change. And if you have a change, is it a change for a day, a week, a month, a quarter, a half a year? Because that's where the rubber meets the road. Just getting all fired up and wired up, that may not turn into a change, correct? Absolutely. You know, you may not know this, Mark, but I also teach at NYU in the graduate program in human capital management. And all my courses embed projects where students work together as a team, mimicking the real world where people have to smooth out their bumps and and resolve their difficulties. And you have some people who are more productive and more accountable than others, all those interpersonal dynamics. But they work on a project where they test an assumption that they have in the real world. And by doing those projects and doing them together, there's multiple level learning. I mean, we know adults learn by doing, not by listening. We absorb information, but that's not the same as learning. So learning happens when you go and try something and you test it and evaluate. Did I get the results I wanted? What were my assumptions going into this? And what are my assumptions now? That's where the learning occurs is the self-reflection on, did I get what I wanted? Did I get part of what I wanted? 
what do I need to do differently or who do I need to talk to to discover what I don't know? That's where the learning happens. It's one of the reasons I love doing a podcast like this with you, Mark, is that the center focus of this is what can you go try and see what happens? You might be different. You might be unique. There's no one size fits all here, but there are some principles and some practical ways to test them to see if that helps you move forward in getting what you want. And I, I want to tell people that Betty's probably going to give you a lot of information in the show today. And I would just pick one thing that resonates with you. Don't, don't try to do everything she's going to tell you to do over our time together, because then you're going to get overwhelmed, which is my area of expertise, and then you're not going to do anything. So just whatever resonates, wait for the entire podcast to end and go, you know what? She said this. I'm going to go back and re-listen to it. I'm going to go do that and watch how that changes. I think people and tell me if you disagree with me either they listen and don't do anything or they listen and try to do everything and i think both extremes are an issue they should pick one thing you agree with that the reason i agree with you mark is this very idea that anytime you do something you're doing it within a system and systems are complicated they're more complicated now than they have ever been everything is interdependent on everything else so there is no silver bullet there is Uh, There are strategies. So if you take action based on a certain strategy, which is what we call a tactic, and then you evaluate what outcome you get from that singular tactic, it will help reveal to you some aspects of the system you're operating in. Now, what too often leaders do, everybody knows this phrase, whack-a-mole. You think you have a problem. Let's say you're wasting too much time in meetings. So you decide you're going to have a meeting-free Friday. Well, that's a game of whack-a-mole. Right. Because that tactic has nothing to do with the systemic issue of too many meetings. So you want to be really intentional about inserting something that you think is going to be a little disruptor to the dysfunctional system. But don't go overboard, because if you do too many things, you won't be able to pinpoint where the error was in your thinking. I think a lot of people suffer from knee jerk itis. I just made up that word. They to use your example, you know, no meeting Friday. Well, you're not addressing the root of the problem as you so eloquently put. You're just like, well, I think this idea will work and it's a knee jerk reaction. What I think we should do is, I don't know, form a committee, not just of C-suite people and managers, get the people on the front lines and go, okay, what solutions can we come up with with all with this problem we have? I think the problem, I've had a lot of leadership experts on the show like you, And the number one problem they say is leaders always try to make the decisions instead of going, you know, let's get Betty, not to use you as the name, but Betty or Barney or Stanley or Jenny and go, okay, you guys work on the front line or you guys answer the phones or you guys use the software. We're thinking about going this direction. What do you think? But what happens is a lot of leaders that I've seen they don't involve the people on the front lines. They make a decision and then they implement whatever it is. And then they wonder why the productivity falters because you didn't involve them in part of the process. Yes. And I think a lot of leaders are really afraid of paralysis from analysis and rightfully so. So decisions by committee are usually not the most powerful decisions. I mean, there's research to show this, right? And we're also over-collaborating and it's contributing to burnout. There's recent evidence on that, research evidence. So 
what I suggest, because my expertise is meetings, Mark, you know, I did a dissertation on it. I have a book called Making Virtual Work, which which essentially did what you are saying, went out and talked to a whole bunch of people, 30, 345 of them to say, what is working and what is not working? And the things that aren't working, what's the impact on you? The things, if, if you if you could have anything, if you could ask for anything from other people to make this situation better, the virtual meetings, what would it be? So I would suggest start with what you can already know so that you don't get stuck in paralysis from analysis. The book is one place to start. It's current and it's relevant to the pandemic era, which has upended so many things. Here's bottom line. Here's what my research showed. The number one reason that people are burned out, emotionally exhausted from meetings in this new hybrid remote environment is the uselessness of them. So it's not whether they happen on a Friday or eight o'clock at night or even how many they are in or how many hours. I mean, yes, that's important and we must consider it, but the bottom issue is uselessness. So if we think about how we're, well, we're asking our people to give their time to our meetings. The big question, the big question to ask ourselves is, is this hour long meeting going to be an hour of usefulness for all eight people here and, and plus me the ninth? Because if it isn't, you're burning your people out. Not to mention productivity, which I know is your sweet spot. So let's just take this example, you and your listeners. Let's say you have an hour long meeting every Monday with your direct reports or with your contractors, if you're a solopreneur, you know, the people who are working on a project with you, a project update meeting. So common. Yes. Mm -hmm. Weekly is pretty standard. So you have this hour long meeting and let's say that you, Mark, are the leader of that meeting. So you say, Joe, give us an update. Okay. Thanks. Susan, what you got going? Ashley, What's going on with these tasks that you're assigned to? My question is a rhetorical one is, is that meeting, the hour long time useful for everybody in that meeting or is it just useful for you? (laughs) Rhetorical question. And if it's just useful for you, let's say you have eight people in that in that project meeting. Collectively, you've just wasted a full day of productivity. So usefulness is not just about being empathetic to the fact that you're probably burning your people out by having them attend that and just, and then even worse, have them be on camera so they can show you they're engaged, quote, unquote, (laughs) because guess what? They're not engaged. So they're having to fake being engaged to please you, which doubles the burden, waste of time and waste of emotional energy. I'm so glad you brought up meetings because... I don't think since the pandemic started, and I'm going to get flagged on Spotify just because I said the P word, which is another topic for another show. But anyways, we're not talking about COVID. We're just talking about the word pandemic, but Spotify is really hypersensitive with that word now. A lot of people are now going back in the office, but for the first two years, everyone's on Zoom cameras. And to your point, I've been on some of these meetings. Now, I don't have any employees in my company, but I've been asked to sit on other meetings. And at the end, because I knew the meeting planner, the, the person who called the meeting together, and they go, well, what do you think? And I would just say, do you want me to be, be brutally honest with you? Oh, yeah, that's why I had you in the call. I'm like, 
why did you have that meeting? And they would like, uh, I, uh, I'm like, I'm an outsider. I have no clue what the purpose of that meeting was. I mean, from what I heard, it could have been done over email or Slack or in our office DM. And I remember one person, they, they, they just, they just looked at me and like, like, what do you mean? I said, you should have a why before you plan the meeting. What is the point of the meeting? Does it need to be done on the meeting? And I think I'm really excited about talking about, I hope we can divert over to this topic here because it sounds like you're passionate about meetings. I'm passionate about meetings because I think when you physical meetings are an entirely different animal, maybe we'll attack that at the end. We'll see. But virtual meetings right now are so important because you're on the camera, but people have their phones. They're just out of screenshot and they're, they're scrolling through their favorite social media platform. They're, they're trying to look in the camera and look on the social media. We all know what's happening. Why don't you tell us a couple things that leaders can do to maybe not so much make the meetings more productive. We'll get that in a minute, but make it so people are more engaged because they all say, turn your cameras on, look in the camera. And, and that kind of sounds like I'm back in elementary school. Like you're not treating me like uh, an important cog of the corporation. Do you feel overwhelmed and frustrated? Are you under a lot of stress? There's a better way. You only get one life. So why not feel peace and freedom and enjoy your life? You can Find out more at 90daystobustingoverwhelm.com. Well, first, let's just dispel the myth, Mark. Looking at each other on camera, or as one of my research participants said, staring at that stupid dot at the top of the screen is not engagement. It's performance. It's a visual performance that has nothing to do with what's actually going on in my head. Whether I'm thinking, problem solving, action planning has nothing to do with engagement. We have mislabeled this performance as engagement. So let's stop doing that. That's the first thing you can do. Start using accurate language. Call it performing, visual performance, because that's all it is. Second, redefine what engagement is. Engagement is getting the work done in such a way that you are so enjoying it, you lose yourself in it. This is essentially the definition provided by Csikszentmihalyi the guy who coined the word flow for work. Yes, excellent book. Yeah, right? So at, at, the, at the acme of engagement is the enjoyment in the work. So let that be the thing that you're trying to create. That's the first thing you can do. And what does that mean? Let them work. Instead of being a talking head, talking at people, ask questions that promote their thinking and idea creation and contribution. That's the first thing that you can do. And it's also the most important thing that you can do. Now, there are very simple, practical ways to make sure you get that done. Uh, so first, that's a kind of a mindset shift. So we know that a shift in mindset happens when you begin to actually do something specific that's different. Just like we were talking before, you test something, you see what happened, and then you evaluate the results and, okay, what else was I missing? So the number one place to start, if you want to have that kind of meeting where you have real engagement versus visual performance, is to always have a target outcome for every meeting. This is not rocket science. But what do people do? If you're lucky, if you're lucky, you have a boss that gives you the purpose of a meeting. The purpose of the meeting is update on the project tasks, right? That's not enough. 
The target outcome would be identify any potential risks so that we can decide together how to mitigate them. Okay, that is a target outcome. And when you invite me to that meeting, am I engaged? Oh, you betcha. I want to know what my colleagues think are the potential risks. I want to participate in the conversation about how we mitigate them. So you have just opened, this is the first step. It's not the silver bullet. It's the first step that you have just opened the door to useful meetings. You have just begun to erase that experience and anticipation of another useless meeting. Here we go again. Purpose versus target outcome. That That's gold right there, ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't, in case you are out walking the pooch and you missed it. That was gold. And, you know, as you were talking there, I remember way back in 2005, this is way before Zoom. I remember I worked for a corporation, a corporation that uh, that fired me. But that why they fired me is not important. But I remember going to meetings. I was an inventory control coordinator and I worked in an offsite warehouse and I would have to take the shuttle from the warehouse over to the main complex. And then I would have to navigate down the meeting room. And of course, nobody ever shows up on time. And then they served coffee and juice and soda and Dana's. And it became like a little networking event for like 15, 20 minutes. And then they would start the meeting. And then they would go over the meeting minutes from last meeting. And then they would have everybody say, hey, Betty, do you have an update? And I remember there, most meetings I went to, I think every two weeks, I'm like, maybe three minutes was a value. And I'm like, and that still applies today. We just don't have the coffee and the Danas and the networking. Well, maybe some people do it on Zoom. I don't know. But the the point is, you it's hard to ask your employees to be efficient, to be productive, to go to these meetings and then just have them sit here staring at that green dot, nodding, and you know they don't want to look anywhere else because they may get written up because they're not focused. How is that helping your bottom line? How is that helping the mission of your company? Yes, you're asking the right questions. So a couple of things that came up for me while I was listening to you talk about this topic, we both have so much passion around, Mark. One is that that commute time. So it used to be that when if we were in a shared location, that commute time could actually be restorative. We're walking by the cubes. We're saying hi to our coworkers. How was your weekend? Hey, great to see you. So it, it relational buoyed us up to get away from our computer screens and our cubes to go to the meeting room and then to sit in the meeting room and have lighthearted conversation with our colleagues. There's so much research that shows this kind of small talk is absolutely essential to productivity. I know that does it's counterintuitive, right? Especially for those of us with a Germanic background who really like chop, 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 people, let's get it done. Clock's up, <laughs> clock is ticking. But some people really, really need it more than others. And guess who needs it more than extroverts? Introverts, counterintuitively, introverts benefit more, have a greater sense of belonging and job satisfaction when small talk is built in. So whether you're in person or in some virtual environment or hybrid, it's really important to carve out a specific amount of time that people know this is going to be about just casual conversation. And then people like you and me, Mark, who are all about the productivity, like I got things to do. We can show we can show up late. 
right? And there's no points off. There's no points off walking in five minutes late because we know meetings are back to back. So there's, you know, the judgment of us and our behavior won't be so harsh. And by giving that buoyant uh, 10 minutes for people who need it to connect, those who authentically have to be late get a little window. They get a little window to be late before you jump into the meeting. They miss out on the small talk. And if they wanted it, that's too bad. You know, it's unfortunate. But this actually helps with productivity. So if you're going to do a 30 minute meeting, the first 10 minutes is small talk. And now you're thinking, oh my gosh, I got to get my hour meeting done in 20 minutes. (laughs) There are ways to do that so that your meeting is useful to everyone who is there. And not paralysis from analysis and getting so many voices in the room that instead of like playing football, you're playing soccer, (laughs) right? I mean, instead of American football, you've got the ball that's going all over the field in every direction. There are ways, very simple ways to craft your meeting so that you get all the voices in the room, but you also stay focused on the goalpost, the target outcome. You know, we know from uh, Marty Seligman's work that there are five dimensions of of human well-being and relationships trump all of it. In fact, relationships are so important that they imbue all the the other four dimensions. And sometimes we over worship productivity and forget how important relationships are to sustaining high levels of productivity. But another one of those five is accomplishment. I mean, I'm an accomplishment junkie. I like to get that work done. I feel so good when I complete something. And, you know, high performers, that's that's how we roll. So we want to enable people to feel a sense of accomplishment by the time they leave a meeting. Yes, I contributed to achieving that target outcome. Awesome. What's next? That's engagement. I wonder how many people are listening to this conversation And they're thinking to themselves, you know, when I go to these meetings, my whole focus is that green dot next to my camera. I'm I'm not even half listening what they're saying because I know I've been told I've got to. I know there's some people nodding their heads right now. And they're like, I just, I do I blink? If I look at the time, am I going to get demerited? You shouldn't feel like this when you go to a meeting because several times now we're, we're, we see each other's recording this, this conversation, but several times I can tell you were writing something down and several times I was writing things down so we don't have to interrupt each other. If you are a leader and you want everyone's eyes completely at the camera, well, then they can't take notes. So I, I think you need to relax. I think you need to really understand why you're having a meeting. Uh, I remember one meeting I went to and they would always read. We're all there in person. And would, they'd hand out the agenda, which should have been emailed ahead of time, but that's another topic. And they would read through the agenda. I'm like, I have it right in front of me. Why are you wasting my time reading the agenda? If you emailed it or sent it to everyone else, we should know. So it's little things like this, but those little things begin to add up. And if you can get rid of those or reduce those, now you have a much more effective meeting. I usually say, so we all have the agenda in front of us and we know our target outcome is X. Do we have any questions about the agenda or the target outcome before we get started? Boom. Right. That is a respectful way to begin a meeting. You are assuming that your people are trustworthy, that they have read your email instead of assuming that you can't trust your people to come prepared. You know, we get what we expect. If we expect that people will come prepared, guess what? They will. Maybe not the first time, but you will begin to build a culture 
where it happens instead of anticipating that people aren't prepared. So let's put this in the perspective of the attendee, not not the meeting planner, not the leader, the attendee. And they've listened to what you said and they're like, okay, but my leader wants me looking at the camera. My leader doesn't want me, my eyes going away from anything other than the camera, that green dot. But they heard you talk on the show today and they're like, okay, how can I go talk to my leader? I, I, I am not a leader. I am not their peer. How do I go and talk to him and say, I, I heard this podcast. Well, give them this podcast, first of all, and say, you might want to listen to this. Incident. But what are suggestions? Because a lot of people may feel intimidated. They don't want to go to their boss or leader and say, listen, I, I, I think you need to have a structure. I think you need to have targeted outcomes for the meeting. And they may feel a little apprehensive. Any tips on how a person can address that with their leader? I, I have a, a, a pretty strong view on this backed up by a lot of research. And that is that you don't change people. You change yourself. When you change yourself, you become a model of what is possible for others. So if you're attending meetings where you feel like you have to look at that green dot and you can't make notes and you know that's really impeding your ability to track with the conversation. I mean, here's the thing. Kinesthetically, we need to make notes to, in order to remember things. Some of us need to make notes to even think this is real. So if I am in a conversation with you and I'm modeling this right now and I'm making a note, it looks as if maybe I'm checking my cell phone to see what kind of texts have come in. So how I can change myself is to say to the person who invited me to this meeting. And, you know, this depends on conversation styles, right? You can't you can't script this. But you all listeners, you are intuitive enough to know how to handle this. And those of us who are entrepreneurs or solopreneurs, we need to be especially deft at this because we're dealing with our customers. So I'll just give you a little script, you know, a couple of examples of what I say, and maybe you can try this. Maybe this be, is the one thing you're going to try. I say to my clients, it's so great to see you and what's going on when, you know, I craft those very brief reading their body language or what I know about them already. Or if I've created the agenda, like first five minutes is just catch up on life. And then I say, now in this meeting, it's really important for me to be able to take notes. So I'm occasionally going to look down to write some things down. I want you to know that when you see me looking away like this, I am actively listening and writing notes is one of the ways that I create anchors for remembering everything that's in our conversation and how I want to help or contribute. So that's just so that you can understand uh, why you're seeing me look to the side. You know, I've been using this technique, Mark, my whole career, because in an in-person meeting, I'm one of those people who looks up. I look up a lot. You see me doing it now. And it's because I'm a visionary thinker. Right. It's a sign. You can read like, you know, body language literature. But the people who look up, they look up because they're thinking. They're thinking visually. They're they're imagining a picture. And so they look up and then they come back. So I've always explained to my clients when I was aware I was doing it. Hey, let me just tell you why I'm looking up. I'm imagining what you're talking about. <laughs> right. So that's how I change myself to create the conditions where I can do the kind of thinking, engaged thinking I need to do. So for those of you who, you know, you're not the one holding the meeting that is wearing you out. You're the one that's showing up to the meetings that wear you out. 
I would say explaining to the leader of the meeting, the person who called that meeting, that I wouldn't do it in a Hollywood Squares environment. It's just too much about me and Betty and she needs to take notes. I mean, that's a derailleur for the agenda. I would send a quick chat in the chat function so that it's real time right now. I'm explaining my behavior. I love that. That is that is so gold. I'm so glad we talked about meetings because, as I alluded to earlier, we haven't talked a lot about it on the show, and it's really important here in 2022. So before we come up to the end of the show, is there anything else on your heart that you would like to share with our listeners, or if, if you think we've given them enough to, to chew on and you just want to wrap it up? It's up to you. There's never enough to chew on when it comes to meetings because meetings are both a microcosm of the larger culture and what's going on in it. So what's happening out here is affecting what happens inside the meetings and what happens in a meeting affects the broader culture. Think about the times that maybe you, you, you uh, experienced some kind of insult in a meeting as if, you know, you didn't have something valuable to contribute and how that affected the rest of your work day. Mm. So, What I would suggest is that what happens in meetings happens whether they're in person or virtual. And this whole camera thing has become a bit of a distraction. All that we're doing in this virtual environment is trying to take those dysfunctions that never worked in the first place and then put them in a 2D environment. And when we did that, that's when we said, oh, man, this is broken. This is not working. We need a new way. So when you go back to the office, or when you are in hybrid environments, the issues actually remain the same. Do people have to show up and fake it like they care about your meeting? Or are you wasting their time? So what I would recommend, of course, is that you get my book, Making Virtual Work, How to Build Performance and Relationships. It's an 85-page book. You can read it in an hour, and it's based on my research, my Academic research, which has a whole different kind of rigor, folks. <laughs> it takes about a year to do one of these studies. Uh, my research with 345 professionals, everyone from an individual contributor to the CEO of an organization to uh, an entrepreneur. There's a recipe that you can follow and you can decide to implement one ingredient at a time and see what happens, or just do the whole shebang and totally upend the system that is not working. Make one that does work. Excellent. And what is your website you would like to go, or maybe a social media platform you'd like to go find you on? You know, I really love for people to follow me on LinkedIn. And the LinkedIn name is Bridging the Difference. That's the company, Bridging the Difference, because I help leaders bridge the difference from where they are now to where they want to go. Company name is Bridging the Difference. And the reason I suggest that is because I frequently post thought leadership articles and straightforward how-to-dos and a newsletter that will knock your socks off. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show. It was so thrilling to talk about meetings. I mean, we this is the topic that needs to be front and center. And I want to thank you for sharing your insights. And thank you for bringing your energy to the show because you were an absolute delight to talk to. Thank you. Likewise. And before we go, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stucheski podcast. I know that there is an endless stream of options for you in this day and age. 
but you took the time to listen to the episode, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Don't forget to head on over to top5productivitytips.com and get my gift to you, my top five productivity tips. Remember, it's the number five in top5productivitytips.com. They will serve you well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll see you again real soon.